Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to episode 50 of my Mavericks podcast. Uh, that is amazing, 50 episodes. Thank you so very much for sticking with me. I think that some people, by the time they get to 50, will have millions of followers or listeners, and, um, and I don't. But there are a few thousand of you, and I am profoundly grateful to you for taking the time out to listen to this. There are literally trillions of podcasts, most of them it seems celebrity driven at the moment. And so I know that you have massive choice, but I'm really grateful to you. So thanks for sticking with me. As you can hear, perhaps um, I'm a little croaky at the moment. I haven't been well for a few weeks. And as you'll hear during this chat with Anya Dunk, I was really croaky at the time. And I promised her that I wouldn't talk too much because my voice just sounded really, really shit. Anyway, this was recorded at Camp Glendie. Camp Glendie is a new venture for Caroline and I that we hold at our home at Glendie in Kincardineshire in the Highlands. It is a series of residential courses and it is, we think, one of the best things we've ever done in terms of business. You basically come and you stay in really lovely accommodation in what is a spectacular place and you learn how to do things whilst also eating amazing food and hanging out with lovely people. This one was our second and it was a sellout and we had all sorts of people. We had people who'd been before, we had couples, we had small groups and we had several people who came by themselves and after four days everyone was best of friends. We did cooking and baking on the fire with Tom Herbert Anya Dunk, I'm about to talk to, did preserving and lino cutting. Our friend Gail Bryson, who is a designer and artist, did taught everyone screen printing. Vivian Rickman Poole held some sw river swimming classes in a freezing river, and she also did some art related to that. We had all sorts of other things. Mel Shand, a local artist, came and taught people how to draw a horse. Basically, it was wonderful, it was amazing, and there was beautiful food and great people, and we had four days of fun. And during that, I asked Anya to come into a small room with me, and we had a chat. And I'm in awe of Anya, as I think almost anyone who comes across her or meets her is. And this is me talking to her about her endless creativity. She's a true polymath, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. It's clear to me, Anya, that you're one of you're almost kind of compulsively creative, mm. right? Yeah. And it seems as if your work is moving, or maybe it's just my observation, more from food related to to art. Is that is that the way you're feeling at the moment? Yeah. I, um... I suppose, yes, but I mean, I've always drawn ever since I can remember. It's just sort of been a way of being. It was how I entertained myself as a kid. And um, cooking came after drawing, I suppose, you know, growing up, watching my mum in the kitchen. Um, and drawing and art has always just been a hobby, really, what I did. And um, I think in my early 20s, I sort of realised that I wanted to work in food, um, and that it was a, a way that I could make a living and have a job. Um, and art was always sort of 
what I did to relax, really. But it's I love it as much as food. And but do you do you? I mean, you're 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 selling work. Mm. I mean, it seems to me that you're classic of a certain type of creative in that you're not really interested in selling it, but people want to buy it. Yeah, yes, it's a very it's a very strange, wonderful thing. I mean, I think I never do it to sell it, if that makes sense. It's just sort of happened accidentally, really, that that people want it, which is a wonderful thing. And I, I just think um, it encourages me to keep going. But I never do it to sell it. Um, if that, unless I'm, you know, specifically asked by a gallery to put, you know, work into an exhibition, in which case I know hopefully it will be sold. I mean, it will definitely go on the walls there, but. Um, I think that's why I enjoy it. If I did it to sell it or if I did commissions, I think I'd be much more nervous about it and it would just take on a whole different... So interesting, isn't it? The minute that, that you've kind of got to deliver something for, for someone and, and it's very specific, it, the whole process changes, does it? Yeah, yes. And yeah. It, then it becomes work, then it becomes a job and then it, you know... I mean, and ironically, I suppose it is work for me now, but but I, in my mind there's a disconnect between it being work. But do you still see yourself... Today, as a chef and a cook, first and foremost. I mean, I find labelling things very hard. Someone asked me yesterday, you know, what would you call yourself? And for years, I called myself a mum because I see that as my most important oh, job by far. Yeah. And now it's not a, a money earning role, but it, it's you know, I suppose how I see myself. And I find it, I find it really hard to call myself a writer. Um, hard to call myself an artist because I think you know you're always learning in all of these things and as far as I, you know I'm concerned I could always be better and so I can never see myself as being that thing because I never see myself as as being at the level you know that I could be I mean I, I'm fine with where I am but I just don't see myself as actually being no, an artist no. a writer I just see it as as doing I, I mean but going back going back just to your mum thing I mean I do mm. find that interesting because I know that it used to really infuriate Caroline when she would say she was a mother mm. and, and then people were like yeah but what do you do yeah you know that and, and I think that's it, I mean you know this is a cliche I have nothing new to add to this but I'm going to say it anyway what a weird way we've got our society into where it's considered to be really not of any particular interest or relevance if you're a mother yeah like, yeah but what else I agree I agree and I, I I mean I feel like it's something to be incredibly proud of and I think a lot of people say I'm just a mum as in just you know only that's all I'm not doing anything beyond that and I um I I love it when I hear women say you know I'm a mum above other things I mean you know most of us have all got jobs but I think we you know, we can tend to forget in our society that actually it's it's a crucial part. It's such an important role. Well, it's, it's isn't you know, it the yeah. most important role. I, think I mean, I don't think anyone who has children, unless they're, you know, slightly deranged, will ever go to their grave thinking that wasn't the most important thing I did. No, I agree. I mean, I, I agree. unless they're mad or they don't like their children, <laughs> which is, you know, very rare. Yes. But, but it, it's quite interesting to me what, I mean, I'm fascinated by this boy-girl thing. Mm. Having and I, and I, I don't I, I may be even treading on difficult kind of political ground I don't know here but I think I I love this thing of of watching different families and how the masculinity or the femininity of the children kind of um, you know manifests itself yes but, yeah. and and it's so interesting watching your boys because they're very I mean they're clearly boys but they're super sort of gentle and unmacho. What's it been like being, what's it like being an only 
girl in a family of four boys? I mean, three sons and, yes. and, and Stephen. I mean, I suppose it's a hard question because I don't know anything other than that. Um, and I had a brother, so um, I didn't have any sisters either. I, I suppose I don't really think about it. And a funny question that gets asked often is, oh, did you want a girl? Like, did you have three children? You know, did you try for a Oh, my a God, girl? yeah, did yeah. You... And um, I, I find it such a, a bizarre concept. I mean, of course, if we'd had a girl, it would have been a wonderful thing, but you don't have children to have a boy or a girl. Or, 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 at least I don't. I well, think... we have this with Felix because he was number six. And people are like, oh, you can stop now. Mm. As if, you know, because we had Jack first yes, and four girls yes. and a boy. We're like... Oh come on! That's yeah. not how you see the world, is it? Surely. No, and I think it's a, it's a it's a very strange thing. And and so to me, you know, they're just the people they are. And um and I suppose it's only recently that I've suddenly thought I, as the boys are growing older and they're talking to me about the difference between men and women, um that we start chatting about actually we're four boys and one one girl in the house. Um, I mean, I don't want to yeah. get too too deep into this because it's not really the conversation mm. I wanted to have but I mean it is interesting the difference between having boy children and girl children totally. I mean it is interesting and our life has, has been you know our boys are shaped by our girls and our and our girl, girls are shaped by our boys but to a lesser extent because there are four girls and Caroline so there's more girl and mm. I, I may be saying things that are completely implicitly incorrect but it is but life is different because of that yeah. if it was four boys and two girls it would be different oh yes absolutely I, I mean I, I feel very spoiled I do must say there's a lot of love for mummy in the house and um, which is great I mean you know Stephen and I obviously love each other but the boys see that and so they treat me, you know, like Stephen treats me, which is wonderful. Isn't that so, nice? Yeah, yes. and actually, I think, you know, had we had a girl, you know, life would be very, very different. Um, who knows what it would have been like? It might, who knows? You know, no. Yeah. I mean, it's just intriguing. I, I always find it so interesting when I see, you know, very... I, I like watch, seeing the parental influence on children. So mm. let's leave that one there, because, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into that. But, <laughs> but so your, your latest commercial, if that's the right... Mm phrase project was your your own book yeah strudel noodles year. and dumplings yes and that that was influenced to an extent by your you you are half german half german and half welsh yes so it was influenced really i mean it's an interesting process writing a book um and for me writing it about german food was the natural place to start because it's the food that the very first food I ate because my mum's German and she was the cook in our house. I mean, my dad is brilliant at making toast with marmite and eggs, um, but but not much else. And so, um, so the cooking naturally fell to her. And um, so, German being half German, the German side of me was a very strong identity in me growing up. You didn't and grow up. Did you grow up in Germany? Or? No, I've never actually lived in Germany. So holidays, we always spent with our grandparents in Bavaria, so for Easter and February and, and summers. So sort of the amount of time I've spent there maybe would amass to sort of two years of my life. So in theory, you could say I've lived there, but never in, in, a, in a big chunk but of time. So we grew up all over the place. Um, when I was one and a half, we moved to Cameroon. Um, and then when I was four, we moved to Malaysia, then Indonesia. Um, and later on, Mauritius. Were your parents in the army? Or? No, my dad, yeah. he's an agricultural engineer. So um, he, his job sort of took us all over the world. So mainly he worked for um, UN organisations and went to um, places after natural disasters or war um, to help them get their agriculture back on their feet. 
um, I'm trying to think of some examples, um, like maybe taking lava rocks out of the ground and making the soil more fertile again, you know, after volcanic eruptions, that, that kind of thing. He did a lot to do with cottage industry um, later on, lot, lots to do with AIDS orphans, very varied job, but it, it took us everywhere. And we sort of lived in all sorts of circumstance and and um, it was a wonderful thing. And the one thing was it that... Was you, you and just a brother? Me and just my brother. So you were a very sort of mobile unit. Yes. And, yeah. and I think, um, actually, I was talking to Caroline this morning about it because I know she travelled a lot as a child too. She did. Too. And she has one brother and, yeah. and they lived all over the world and, and multilinguists. I, and... and for us, uh, you know, the food that we ate, so mum's German cooking and our family, mum, dad, Oliver and, and myself were the one thing that was stable throughout my life because, you know, moving around all the time, your friends change, your home changes, everything changes. But the one thing you take with you is, is your, your kitchen, your, your food. How interesting. And, um, and I think, so, so that's why strudel noodles and dumplings, why it's German cooking. Um, and it's really strong in me and my children because... I can't, you know, the, the stuff you eat, the, the first flavours you have that you remember sort of carry you through your life. They'll always bring you comfort, whether it's Coca-Cola or whether it's, you know, dumplings like I had Knurdle. You know, those are the, those are the things you'll always come back to. And I, I... See, I'm, that's interesting, but my, although I'm very interested in food and Caroline and I are, my parents had no interest in food, mm. even though they were very much country people. I mean, they, they liked, you know, I mean, foraging wasn't even the thing. We ate mushrooms and things, but I don't, I don't think I have those memories of food as a child. Mm. I mean, I think my food was fish fingers and alphabet yeah. spaghetti and all that sort but of But maybe that's crap. why you're so into food now, you know. I mean, I think as... I think you've either got a real, really strong identity and your granny cooked. And, you know, I talk to a lot of cooks about this, you know, whether or not they've got a long history of recipes and uh, sort of a pool of information they can call on or whether or not they're interested in food because they never had that. You, you know, I spoke to um, Anna Jones, you know, Anna, yes, yes, um, about um, cooking the other day and she says she doesn't have a, a, you know, a long list of recipes that her granny made. You know, her love of food has come you know, at a much later time in her life. How interesting. So yeah. almost conversely, kind of, from not yeah. having... Yeah. But do you, do you... So when you talk about the um, the, the, the sort of consistency, and, or the constancy, rather, of mm. the cooking, is that more a constancy of, of being close to your mum, or is it to do with the food, do you think? Because certainly the way that someone like Thomasina Myers says, you know, she she just remembers being kind of almost umbilically attached to her mum when she was cooking. Mm. Was that? Do you remember that thing of being in the kitchen? No, I, I mean, this is the strange thing. I, I mean, I, my mum is an absolutely wonderful cook and she's the person, you know, that I look up to most in the world, but she never taught me how to cook. I was just with her. You know, I think we often think about entertaining our children all the time and having to give them something to do. But she sort of brought us up just saying, you know, this is... I've got to cook. I've got to do it. So just be in the kitchen with me while I'm doing it. And you you sort of just learn as you go, just through living life. Yes. And um, which actually I think is how children learn everything. Yeah, it because is. Because they, they they you can try and teach them, mm. but it doesn't work. Yeah. If you're not consistent. Yeah. They learn they learn their behaviour and their 
all of these things, I think, come through osmosis and it's very gradual, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and there was no big deal was ever made of it. You know, I didn't know growing up really particularly that my mum was a great cook or that I was even learning anything from her. But um, certainly I was in the kitchen a lot with her and and my Umi, my, my, her mum, my German gran. And um, I think when I started cooking at university... Um, a lot of what I cooked was a disaster. I remember making an apple cake and not putting baking powder in it, you know, but, and, and, um, but it was all just through watching, never yes. being told this yes. is how you do it. Of course, now I chat to my mum loads about how we do things. Um, but I, I think it's a wonderful thing and that you get when you're a little child, that you can learn a language just so easily. You just pick everything up. And, and I'm very conscious of it with my own children that actually they're constantly learning. And what you say to kids really matters, how you say it to them. It affects them I greatly. Think, I, I think that's right, but I think that they, they notice and that's where they learn. See, mm. I think that our children have learned from our behaviour when we're not even trying to teach them something, they just see you in ways you can't, as a parent, even recognise. Mm. That's my take on it. Yeah. And I think that, so the way they become with other people is learnt from those thousands of hours that you've, the way you've addressed the milkman, yeah. the, the delivery guy, your friends, you know, your, yeah. you know that's, that's what they pick up. And I think, so I, I think this is, you, you can say, I mean, endlessly you hear parents saying, don't swear or and then going off and swearing or mm. or don't smoke and then going off and smoking or and actually kids are they're just you know we're not that doesn't work no but no. if you but if you don't swear they won't swear yeah well that doesn't work in our well no but you, <laughs> i mean i'm, I'm using slightly no crass. no absolutely yeah 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 no i totally agree i mean i think it's i think i think the best thing you can do with kids actually is just to be open and honest yes i think well i um, think you have no choice you see no because and they see you yeah so you, 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 you might think that you're hiding certain aspects of your character, but they know. Mm. They you think they can't even hear you. They yeah. can hear you. I know. I um, know. So the, the, the last book, who published the last book? Um, Fourth Estate. So um, they're sort of a branch of HarperCollins. And um, I had a lovely, lovely editor, publisher called Louise, who, um, I mean, she was incredible, really, because she gave me just free reign to to sort of do it how I, she trusted me immensely and I um especially also because I took the photos for it um so she gave me a good amount of time which I know is very rare when you're writing a book to shoot the book over the course of a year naturally at home um and it was wonderful because I had the creative freedom so I cooked all the food I didn't style it I just plated it up for so everything that that was in the book my thing about it was I wanted it just to be normal family food. I mean, you see cookbooks all the time that look so beautiful and perfect. And I love um, a lot of those books and magazine food photography um, for many other reasons. But when you're cooking at home, your table never looks like that. It's not perfect. It is, you know, a family table is a mess. Quite Although a your time. kitchen, for anyone who follows you on Instagram, <laughs> is, quite, is quite a cool kitchen. Yes, it's quite full. It's quite full up. Um, but you just, am I right? You did design the cover as well, didn't you? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? No. There's okay. a wonderful lady called Sonia um, who um, designed the whole book. And she was quite incredible, I think, because I ch chatted to her after a meeting with the, with the publisher in the lift on the way out about things that I liked. And I told her, you know, 
um, we were talking about the kids and, and it being a family cookbook and I spoke about shapes with her and um, I showed her a little picture of, of um, a very old German cookbook um, with some shapes in it and then she designed the whole book with these beautiful shapes that were representative of dumplings and noodles. I just and... assumed it looked rather like your work yeah. to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. I suppose we spoke about my Lanikettes, the, the sort of monochrome. I like a lot of black and white stuff and so but I mean from a sort of three minute conversation with her she really took on board my sense of um how I see things and and I don't think I could have had a nicer better designer it's very I mean it's interesting going back to what you say talking about kind of it being not styled Mm. I mean I don't I've never quite been clear what styling really means because it is your book is highly styled it's just styled by you and your job isn't a stylist yes so, yes so I don't I don't really buy that but I mean I think no, lots absolutely of, you know. and of course so I, the publisher said to me I took a lot of photos in initially and actually one of the comments was you know Anya we are trying to sell the food here because the first photos I took were actually incredibly messy you know children eating make a completely messy plate but if you're if you're trying to sell the food, the meal that you're writing about, you know, if it if it looks like a dog's dinner, it's not going to make someone want no, to No, I understand it. that with food. So, I mean, I think foods, I mean, I'm not doing down stylists, but I mean, I hmm. styled every peddler's catalogue for 20 years and I do all the styling of the shops and the cap, but I wouldn't call myself a stylist. I mean, no, it's, not, I th- I'm it's just, just re- part of the package, just, isn't it? Yeah, it's what you exactly. do. And so. Just what I do. But, but I'm, what I think is intriguing, the thing that I picked up more than anything else at the Good Life Experience this year was that all the chefs say we don't need any more cookery books. Mm. And, you know, your, your book was a cookery book, but it was something else as well, wasn't it? I mean, I've just read Valentine Warner's new book, The Consolation of Food, which is about half recipes and half writing I mean mm. it's really good yeah I want to read it but, but but I didn't read the recipes because mm. I will if I need to cook the stuff but I do feel that that I, I think that's the kind of book we do need about food I agree and I mean I kind of feel like there's a little bit of an echo chamber going on in the world of food at the moment you know lots of stuff is being repeated lots of stuff is the same and which is why a lot of cooks say they don't need another cookbook you know I, I, and I I love, um, I mean, lots of people take cookbooks to bed, don't they, to read them? And, and I think that's what people like Val, Valentine Warner, give you, that little bit extra. Or Olya Hercules or yes. Alicia Tomaskina. You know, these people seem to me to be writing books about food with recipes in them. Yes, and I think there's so much feeling involved in food and, and emotion. Um, and I think that side of it, to me, is the most interesting part, really. You know, it, it makes up who we are. And a recipe is always much more than a recipe, of course. You know, if it, if it if it's something that that means something to you. And so, what do you mean about this echo chamber? Tell me more. I mean, you feel like everyone's now talking about vegetables, and it just is. Yes. Kind of, we're going to reach peak vegetables soon, and then we'll have to do something else. Yeah, you know. Yes, I. That's what I mean. I mean, I just feel like I don't feel like we're in a very exciting place necessarily. Um, with food at the moment, I feel like it's slightly flat. I mean. Um, yeah, I don't know what I mean. Really. No, no, I mean, but you, know. you, you, you know, you, you operate in, in that world. I suppose my point was that, you know, I think we've met a lot of very interesting mm. cooks and chefs, yourself included, in the last six, seven years through doing the Good Life mm. Experience. And, and so, you know, we're, we're observers of that world. But it seemed that it's moved very fast away from 
you know, cookery book, cookery book, cookery book, cookery book, bestseller, 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 mm. into something more, that, uh, more profound, yeah. more profound. Yeah. And when I, and I, don't, I don't mean to be controversial here, but when I see that Jamie Oliver's done a book called Veg, I just think, oh, for Christ's sake, you know. Yeah. Um, that's fine. But for me, that's over there. Yes. And, I, and I, yeah, I, I'm And I get it. I mean, I admire you. him. He's brilliant, blah, 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 nothing against him. But I mean, it's like, you know, you, you do those books over there. Mr. Oliver, good mm. for you. But, you know, I want to read the books that are more, have more depth and yeah. narrative. And Yeah, and me too. I mean, Diana Henry, I don't know if you've got any of her books. Yes. I adore Diana. I, I mean, she's a, a lovely person, very kind and encouraging and, and open in the world of food. I mean, I don't think you could have a nicer person who's more welcoming to new cooks and new writers. Um, but... Her books, I mean, I rarely cook from a cookbook. So like you, I read a cookbook to learn stuff, to be inspired. Um, but I suppose the, the cooking I do at home is so ingrained in me that I, I, I sort of um, don't need a book for it. And, and when I read recipe books, I read them to be inspired, to take lots of information out of it. And then I just, you know, go and sort of cobble together a recipe from, from that. But Diana's books, um, I love and I actually really cook from. You actually follow recipes, do you? Yes, and there's yes. something about it that I, I can't put my finger on why I love them so much. Um, it's to do with the story, it's to do... It's the whole package, but I don't know why it is, but something about them really... I mean, the recipes all work, they're all delicious, but... Um, and she somehow is innovative all the time. They're always interesting. Even when I look back at her oldest books, you know, her first books, they're still so incredibly inspiring and relevant and... Um, I just think she's a beautiful, you know, writer. I've actually, I have actually read those books a bit like mm. I read Valentine's. Yeah. And, and so, was your first book your do preserve book yes, that you did with yes, Jen? Yes, yes, and Mimi. And and tell me how that came about. Um, that came about because I cooked for the do lectures with um, Jen, and the do books. Um, are you have to have spoken at to do lectures to write a do book it's sort of I think that's the criteria it is yes, yeah yeah and um I've never spoken at the do and I doubt I ever will because I'm a terribly shy person I mean it's fine sitting here with you talking we got one you on talking one, at the yeah. good life experience didn't we everyone was like my god she's on stage I know. <laughs> I know it's a it's a funny thing a fear of sort of standing up in front of a crowd very normal um but yes uh so uh, Miranda wanted to do a book on preserving, but no one had had spoken. And um, Claire and her discussed it. And Claire said, well, look, you know... Claire being Jen, Claire, Claire Hyatt, Hyatt of the yes. two lectures and, and Miranda being the publisher. And it sort of two. said, well, you, you know, you've cooked there so often. Maybe we can sort of, you know, um, make this an, an exception of, you know, someone who hasn't spoken at do, but is so heavily involved with do. And so, and Mimi um, had cooked in America for the do lectures and she has a farm um, called the Little Gamp Farm up in upstate New York, a beautiful place. And so I was actually living That's in America at the time. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, lovely, yeah. Um, I was living in America at the time. So um, it was great because Mimi and I, I would drive to her, you know, an hour and a half, um, never eat west to her farm and um, preserve with her. And then Richard, her husband, shot the book, um, which he's a photographer, which was great. He did it all on film. Um, and it was, a, it was a lovely thing to do. Um, a do, do books are quite small. The idea is they're a little pocket book, you know, a guide. 
um, and to do it sort of split between three people. It was a, a love, I was on, uh, I had Aiden was a baby at the time, so I didn't have masses of time, well, I don't know, I, I always think that time when you've just had a baby, like you, you're in a sort of funny stage where you have lots of time, but you don't have lots of time, you know, you kind of, but I, so I had enough time to write sort of a third of a book, and um, so it was a really fun time. So were you, were you very sort of keen on the whole preserving and fermenting thing? Yes. At, at that, that point. Yeah. And, and where did that come from? Was that? Well, I suppose in Germany, bottling is massive, as it is in the States, what they call it canning over there. But um, so bottled fruit, well, you know, when you um, have gluts of stuff and then you, you bottle it for your cellar, for your larder. I grew up on all of this um, from my umi and sauerkraut, of course, and all of those things. And, and um, my mum has carried this over. And so I've always done it. And living in, in West Wales where we where we do, I mean, there wasn't... I mean, Tesco came when I was 13, I think, you know, and there wasn't much. So you have your garden and the hedgerows. And so a lot of what we ate growing up was preser preserved. Um, that, was, that was quite a German influence because I don't think... We, do we have a big tradition of, of preserving? jam making, yes. Jam making, yes, that's and, true. And that's possibly, true. like, pickled onions, I know, is a very British thing. But I, I think, yeah... It's quite German. I think preserving in the way that they do in America and and in Europe, you know, in, on the continent, is um, very very different to to what we do here. I think we are quite limited to a marmalade. I mean, I, I don't want to speak out of turn here. Maybe we're not. But no, I mean, I, I my suspicion is that we are. Yeah. I mean, ironically, you know, we're a marmalade nation, but we don't grow oranges, so yeah. we can kind of almost sort of count that out from a lot, you know, mm. long history. But but I, my sense is that as a you know, my sense, not being an expert, is that pickled eggs, pickled onions, and then jams. Mm. And I mean, nothing, I mean, things like um, capers and, and, and cornichon even didn't exist in this country. No, I know. So, yeah. so it is interesting. And, and one of the things that always strikes me about watching, you know, you preserving or fermenting or anyone else is, it's actually a very visual form of food isn't it it looks mm. so lovely in the jar as well there's something very strong about that yeah and I, I, there is it's, it is a very visual thing and there's something I think pretty special about capturing time you know um, and fruit that's sort of suspended in syrup is suspended in time and that you know you've captured it at its peak and I, I love looking at the jars and I mean we've got bottled damsons tonight actually for dinner that my mum picked from the hedgerow in Wales these wild damsons and I've brought them here um, to have for dinner with rice pudding tonight. But um, I'll show you a jar downstairs later. It's just that I love the way you put fruit into a jar in water and then you bottle it, which is basically a process where you just heat a jar up inside a big saucepan of boiling water and you're sort of sealing, you're vacuuming it in. And as That's it, what the heat does, isn't it? That's what the heat does. Yes. And as it vacuums and heats up the fruit it sort of leaks ink, the inky juices of the fruit, into the water and they come out looking, you know, incredible. So the, so the liquid that these damsons are now in is a beautiful sort of winey red colour. The fruit is sort of semi-cooked. Um, but um, it's, it's just captured from that moment yes. that my mum handed them over. So, so did you... I mean, it's, it seems to me that the... the fermenting the bottling the canning whatever you call it is mm. something that a came in your heritage but b is just is just you because you're a 
you're someone who I think avows, a, you know, you're, you, you like the idea of the good life, the simple life. Yes. But you're also wildly creative. So was it just something that you kind of just got into and just learned and tried and... Yeah, basically. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm a really sentimental person, I think. You know, I think I'm a, a, you know, hopelessly romantic and sentimental. And it, that kind of food has a sort of romance about it that, that is really appealing to me. I just, I think um, it feels, you know, just part of who I am. It just, it's natural for me to do it. Um, and it's not, it's not, I think all of these things that we do that we just don't really need to think about, it's one of those things that just seems part of life to me. Yes, yes. Um, and I know that might sound like a strange thing to say, but it's normal for me to to think and just, you know, be on a walk and just pick stuff and think I'm going to preserve this and then we're going to enjoy it in six months' time. And it's just, I don't actually really think it. I just do it. Yes. And I think... That's so it's, 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 it's just it's just the way you are. It's ingrained yes. in me, and I, yes. and I think a lot of the time, and it's ingrained in me, obviously through my mum. But you, you, you mentioned your mum obviously a lot. Mm. Your dad also worked in agriculture, but he wasn't a, he, he wasn't in any way. I mean, obviously you said he, he you know he was some marmite and toast guy, yeah. but he he wasn't particularly interested in this sort of you know natural you know nature food or food from nature or well my dad he he's actually yes very much so he it was a vegetarian and um it was nature cure so he grew up in a family that believed in nature healing you so he's never taken any medicine um i mean obviously when he worked abroad he had to have malaria tablets or whatever but but he'd, he's never taken a paracetamol in his life you know that kind of thing um so i grew up with um lots of herbs in the house and cold compresses and that side of things um so he's a very sort of um you know and he believes a tomato is medicine for example you know i mean food is medicine it's um but um he loves my mum's cooking i mean so, so interesting yeah. so he he was so he was more interested in the in in natural medicine than than your mum as it mm. were I mean, they're a very interesting combo because she came from Germany, cooked lots of meat. My dad doesn't like lots of meat. Um, and it's interesting to see how they've influenced each other, you, you know, now, um, and how my mum's cooking has changed m massively. Well, I'm interested in how it's influenced you as well, because what I'm getting mm. from your description of them is, is exactly what I would imagine they would be like knowing you. Mm. That that I can see their influence on you. I mean, you you and your whole family are vegetarian. Yeah. So yeah. have you always been vegetarian? No. Well, so I, Mum sort of cooked meat once a week um, at home, like a schnitzel or you know chicken, because Dad didn't like lots of meat, and she was always you know sneaking in a, a bratwurst here or there. Um, and um, but I have never really cooked a lot of meat um, for myself. Stephen, um, my husband, absolutely adored meat. Um, and then two years ago, um, actually at The Good Life, um, he'd done a lot of reading. Um, and at The Good Life, he just said to me, Shannon, I've decided I, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to try and not eat meat for a month and see how I go for environmental reasons. He'd, you know, um, and then it's now we're two years down the line and he hasn't eaten meat. Um, he still eats eggs. Um, but no dairy either. 
Um, and so um, we now, I mean, naturally, you know, I always cooked, like Lucas didn't have meat till he was two years old. Um, and naturally, we had meat once a week, let's say. But I don't, yeah, so now we don't no, have meat I mean, at home. Amazing. But um, well, I still cook it for work. We're we're, I, I think the, the world has changed dramatically. So at Camp Glendie, there are about 40 people. Mm. And at least twenty five percent of vegetarian, which I, know, I think is really interesting. interesting. I mean, the world is shifting remarkably rapidly. It is, and I think it's here to stay. I mean, oh, it, definitely. It's, um, so I still cook meat for work, and so I will. So when I say, I mean, I don't really say I'm a vegetarian because if I'm cooking meat to give to people, I will taste it. I'm not going to cook something that I'm not going to try and make sure is okay. So I will still put a piece of meat in my mouth and eat it, but I just choose not to cook it at home for us, you know. Um, but I think in a way that alcohol-free beer and things has taken off uh, over the last two years is really interesting as well. But I also think that's here to stay. I think there's a huge shift in the way we're all thinking about what we're eating and consuming and, and what it does to us. Oh, definitely. I mean, huge. Um, I mean, and in fact, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if um, if these Camp Glendies evolve much more away from meat. I mean, I think, mm. I think you know, that we are cooking meat, but but my sense, I mean, we're just about to plant this veg, big vegetable Yes, yeah, garden, it looks amazing you know, out there, yeah. I get a sense that, that that's the way the world is going, with, certainly with the sort of people that we're engaging with. Mm. through the good life and and i mean yeah. there's a huge amount of content at the good life obviously on, on vegetarianism mm. and um and veganism but i just want to talk to sort of go back before we wind up to mm. talk about your your art oh, yeah and and um you know you're 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 here doing lino you're teaching some lino cutting yeah. as well as preserving but um do do you see yourself as as evolving as kind of where we started into yeah. more of an artist yes i do i do i mean um, I see myself doing it more and more. So uh, I had three children in very sort of close succession. So I had three kids under the age of three for for a little while, and uh, sort of that the 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 years where I had them at home and I wrote do preserve and strudelnoos and dumplings were before they were all in school, and um, and now Aidan started school a year ago, my youngest, and it's allowed me to have the time to actually start drawing more and um so which is a great thing I mean for, for me mentally you know it's it's lovely for me to actually have that headspace to just think I'm just going to do it and like anything I really I really believe anyone can do anything if you if you work really hard at it if you put the time in the, and you have the passion and the energy anyone can draw it you just have to want to do it and I feel like now I've actually for the first time in many many years got the time to do it and so I hope um, very much that I'm going to you know, I'm always yeah. reticent about using words like permission because I don't believe it's I, I don't like kind of that sort of jargon but I think that James Sills last night is very interesting when he talks about people not being given permission to sing mm. so you know, you're told you've got a crap voice, so you're not in the choir. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. you know, you're you you're you've got a good voice. You're in the choir, mm. and and I suspect that it's the same with drawing, isn't it? That if it someone is. gives you, I mean, I've noticed this again at, at this Camp Glendie with Gail Bryson, who's been doing the screen printing. Mm. That some people are very willing to be creative. They 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 cut things out. They make beautiful screen prints. Other people are really, really 
it, it's a it's a big step for them yes. to express themselves yes. even through a screen print. Yes. And I think that must be something to do with the fact that at school they were not the artistic one. Yeah, and I think school is is a terrible. Well, I, I can only speak for the school I went to, but a terrible place for not encouraging children to enjoy art. Uh, you know, drawing and and to sort of pigeonhole you into a way of drawing that isn't natural. I mean, if we were all left to our own devices, we'd all be creating amazing stuff. But we're sort of told that you know. I mean, if you look at any kid's drawing, you know, they draw a thin line of blue at the top as the sky. And I, I love those things, but we're told, no, you've got to colour the whole page in blue. You've got to... And, and why also, do I mean, we certainly have... it might... I mean, I, 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 I was definitely seen as a sort of arty one more than anything else. But if you weren't almost a fully formed painter, when you got to my school, you weren't encouraged to do art. Mm. You know, you were, it was like science, maths, English, and then seven people in the art school. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I don't think that's changing, is it? I, well, I don't know. I, mean, I don't... I don't know. I my my don't kids know, certainly but... were, actually, they did go to a school that valued art. But I think when the oldest two said they wanted to go to art school, which they did do, I think the school was slightly kind of like, what, you know, that's you've sent your kids to a private school and now they just want to go and do art. I mean, I do think there was still a, yeah, there was I still think a disconnect I, there, I think. I think that, I do think there still is. James Sills was saying last night that... He, he's a great believer in this idea that we're, we're, we're either told that we're creative or we're told that we're not creative. We're told that we can sing or we're told we mm. can't sing. And, and you had someone who sort of gave you that permission or that praise with your art, yes, didn't you? Yes, yes, yeah. Um, so Trudy gave me sort of... Um... And Trudy was the, the wife of a potter who you'd started as a sort of... 14-year-old yeah. intern. Uh, yes, and sort of a pre potter's apprentice, really. And um, so Joe um, Finch was the potter, and I went to sort of work in his pottery in the summer. And Trudy is a, a, an artist, an illustrator, and I sort of was seduced into her studio um, more and more and more. And, um, and I mean, you know I love ceramics. My kitchen's full of it. But um, So I love pottery, but I ended up, just falling in love with drawing and um it wasn't until sort of a couple of years ago that trudy told me that i was rubbish when i first you know i was 14 at the time i think and um and i couldn't draw at all really but she encouraged me but isn't it funny because so you, you you did so actually you did do your foundation but that's quite a broad thing mm. so you've essentially become a professional artist simply because someone when they thought your art was crap, knew that you could be good and said yes. you're good. I think I think there's there's something very special about people who can see in somebody a passion and an enthusiasm and and bring that out in you. And that's what she did she did for me. You know, I I absolutely love drawing, even though I I was, you know, pretty bad at it. She could see that that I really enjoyed this and that it was something that I was really passionate about. And I, I think See, I I I think that most people have a huge range of stuff in them. I don't I think totally you even agree. have to see. I don't think you even have to see the the their ability. Mm. Even if you can, I'd have no idea. You just have to kind of believe that they can do it. Yes. And they can. I I totally agree. I I really believe that that we can all do anything if we if we want to, and I think that that's a big you know that's a key to life i mean if you want to do something you can yes but i think you, you do you do need your trudy 
to give you the praise that gives you what yes. James Sills calls permission it, to carry on drawing. Absolutely. Because if you are told that drawing's good, it becomes quite good. Yes. And, and, then, yeah. and then you want to make it even better. But the minute someone says, Anya, you know what? I just you don't, want, you're don't not very bother. good at drawing. Yeah. Go I can back just to the pottery, go back to the yeah. pottery. You're, you know, that's, that's lost essentially forever then. Yes, it is. I and I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's, and it was a pivotal, you know, moment in my life. I mean, I think, I think often we go through life and we don't really remember the things that really changed us. But um, she, you know, really has influenced me greatly in a way that, that my parents, who, you know, I think are the most amazing people in the world, influenced me in so many wonderful ways but it was Trudy um as another influential adult yes. that brought that out you're very lucky the, the I mean that, yeah. that's essentially most of us have a teacher somewhere yeah. who, who saw something a lot of those of us that are lucky enough I, I can certainly identify two people who saw something in me definitely when I definitely didn't see mm. it yeah um, and, 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 and Isn't that's it why funny like our perception of ourselves and what other people see in us that we can't see in ourselves and the thing, and quite often what we see in ourselves is always negative um you know like I, I I'm very shy but everyone says to me you're definitely not Anya you know uh, but the way I see myself is as a very sort of shy uh, person who's intimidated by an awful lot of stuff but um I think um yeah no, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, I had definitely suffered from low self-esteem, but mm. ironically, my sister, who was brought up in precisely the same household, has very high self-esteem. So mm. God knows what that's all to do with. Mm. But but I, I I am a big I I really am a big fan of 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 saying to people, well done. Mm. I mean, I, I I do think that is still a game changer. Whether you're five, Absolutely. fifteen, or sixty-five, someone saying what you've done is good. You know, that's delicious food, or that's a really good drawing, or bloody hell you look great or I love the way you wear those dungarees is yes. really really good and I think often quite you know more important as an adult possibly because if you've gone through your whole life and you haven't necessarily had that or you've you know taken a career that that hasn't been what you love but you've just done and to have that moment in your life as an adult where someone actually encourages you to, to go down a path that you never thought you could go down is 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 a freedom you or, know, or a... even more prosaically I think just to say you know I, I really you're the best one here at organizing the project so if you wouldn't mind will you do that because last time we did it you did it really well I mean it doesn't have to be a sort of you know, or your yeah. will you do you mind writing out the notes on the meeting because you just do it so bloody well I don't know how you do it so well I can I always forget things you know that that's that's really a good thing and I don't know it if it's British or something. It, it sounds quite British to me, but I don't have much to compare it with. But we, we're not good at it. No, we're not. We're rubbish at it. And, and I think we need, need it a lot more. Well, I think it's important. I mean, I said to you this morning, which I meant sincerely, that I think you, your children are a credit to you and Stephen. But it's very easy not to say that. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I It's almost think... embarrassing. I mean, yeah. I, it's not to me, but I think in British culture it's almost embarrassing to look someone in the eye and say I think your kids are fantastic mm. now occasionally I've said it to people when I don't mean it because <laughs> <laughs> because you know they're like I hope they haven't been a nightmare and you're like, oh no 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 they've been absolutely marvelous when know. you know you can't wait for them to leave but mm. I do think you know I do think that's I mean I'm, I'm being flippant but I think that is it's really important and 
And if people say that sort of thing to you, you really hold on to it. Yes. And it yeah. encourages you to, to, do, to be even better, I think. But I just, just to sort of wind up, you know, we're, we're, we're halfway through four, four or five nights of Camp yeah. Bandai. And you've come up with, with all of the family. What, what's been your sort of principal impression? Um, actually, how relaxed it is. Um, I, and I, you know, I'm always nervous when I come into groups of people that I don't know. Um, and um, so it was very welcoming and really low-key and relaxed, which is amazing. I think it's also very diverse. I mean, people have been foraging this morning. They were screen printing yesterday. Um, and there's a lot of encouragement that that's happening, you know, amongst everyone, which is really heartwarming to see. But I think my favourite bit um, is actually um, the dinners at, at sort of nights, like last night. And we had James's wonderful singing throughout it. But um, it's lovely to watch all these people coming together who, who didn't know each other possibly before. I know some people do know each other, but um, just watching all the little huddles going on in the room, I think, is um, a really lovely thing. And, uh, you know, as a sort of young family, we huddle a lot together. And I think it's something that we rarely see um, in society with people who, who don't know each other that come together. There were, you know, several groups of huddles going on last night, which I think is a really heartwarming thing. I think it's such thing. an interesting observation, and, and I completely agree with you. And in many ways, it's what social life has always been about huddling, isn't it? Mm. You know, the huddle in the pub. Yes. Over by the fire. And I mean, you know, you know, you take it back to like the penguin huddle or the, you know, animals huddle all the time. And um, I, I think it, it's just, it, it is a human instinct really to do it but but we don't out you know when we're out and about in our everyday life so I think that was a, a it's a really special lovely thing to have here yes yeah it is I, th I think that's something that we've managed to really we've done lots of things right with the good life experience and Camp Glendie but I think the friendliness is 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 a really important thing because yeah. you know the human connections are the, are the critical thing and it yeah. seems to be what we're seems to be one of the things we're kind of best at I, and, I, and I it's not even conscious I no. mean it's just I mean it sounds a cliche to say it but it feels warm I mean you know people huddle to get warm uh, or animals huddle to get warm but it, it's the warmth about it that I think is is what makes it mm. yeah definitely and, and also I love seeing people challenge themselves to do creative things yeah who, who don't necessarily I mean there's someone here who I can see has been told that they I'm not going to say whether it's he or she are not Good at art, mm. who is perfectly good at art, mm. and who I've seen unfold over two days, but also yeah. that I, I'm I'm a massive believer in that notion of pushing ourselves outside our comfort zone. Me too. Because I think we only learn from that. Absolutely, I think it's it's one of the most scary, awful things about life, but the best thing about life too. Yeah. You know, and I think if I think every day we should push ourselves somewhere that's beyond where we feel comfortable. We had I I, I put four of the children. Um, very much on stage at the Good Life this year to do, you know, they all did half a dozen or a dozen introductions and each one of them sort of said, oh, I'm really nervous. And, I, and, you know, my response to that is, well, that's the point. Mm. Because when you've done those half a dozen or a dozen introductions, you will be much more confident and 50 times better at them. Yeah. And I think, I think it's so easy, particularly as adults, to, to, to kind of, never push ourselves into new things and we got it we should i mean i hate fridge magnets that say it but we should do something that scares us every day yes, <laughs> there's a truth in that there fridge magnet thank you so much Anya. so thanks very much to you for listening 
Thank you to Anya for doing this talk. Thanks so much for being with me on my 50th anniversary of this podcast. Thanks to my endlessly loyal and hardworking friend, Jim Friend, for his editing skills. I will see you soon. Bye. Bye.